Philippians chapter 4. About four or five months ago, we began working our way passage by passage through Philippians, and today we've come upon our last time in this book. And we've come upon a passage that is often quoted. I've, uh, at least sometimes in jest, said I want to write a, a book called 101 Verses Taken Out of Context, where I take verses that are sometimes misused, or maybe perhaps frequently misused, and then uh, put them back in their better context because they're actually more powerful than we give them credit for. And one of those is in this passage. It is wildly famous, and it's on uh, billboards and eye black everywhere. It's, uh, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But the context of that verse is Paul's time in prison and him writing to the Philippian church who sent a donation to him and how he wants them to think about that donation, his circumstances, and theirs. And when you get it in its full context, it's richer and more powerful uh, than we might have first imagined. So before we read God's Word, let's pray and ask for His blessing on the powerful Word that, that points us to Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, as we have sung, we do want to know more about Jesus, more of His love, more of his fellowship with us, more of his nearness to us, more of the riches we have from his grace, we would like to know Jesus more. So we pray, would you bless the time that we read in his word that reveals him to us to see the, the greatness of our salvation and the greatness of, of Christ and how close we are to him. We pray that you would give us faith to receive your word and that we could walk out as changed people. Uh, trusting more in Christ and finding our joy deeply and more profoundly in Him than ever before. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We'll begin reading in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 verse 10. This is God's word. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. For you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now... That I am speaking of being in need, uh, for I have, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned that the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered in partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and and more. I am well supplied, having Receive from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, the fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. It is completely true and it's utterly trustworthy. In 1992, 
U.S. News and World Report did an article on the American dream. And in it, they were reporting the difference in just 12 years change. In 1980, uh, two out of three people responded to a survey and said that they expected to be better off than their parents. They said that in 1992, three-fourths of the thousand people responded to their survey uh, said that the American dream, whatever that meant to them, is harder to get than it was a generation ago. And that they would need significantly more financial risk to accomplish it than their parents did. To give some more hard numbers to that, the, they said that in 1980, most people described the American dream as wealth, power, and fame. In 1992, that had changed to wealth, friends, and family. But wealth still key in there. And they said that as they interviewed people who made in 1992 $25,000 a year. Now, uh, if you can't remember how much that was in 1992, it's the equivalent of $42,000 in 2014. It said it would take $54,000 to do what they thought was the American dream. That is to say, they would ask people, what would make you really happy? What would make you satisfied? What would you need to have? And they, then they would calculate the expense of that lifestyle. And it was about twice what they were making. They asked people who made $100,000 in 1992. That's worth 169000 today. And said, what would it take for you to be happy? And then they measured the amount it would take to, to live that lifestyle. And it was close to $200,000 in 1992 or 300000 today. Now, the point here is, that each of these people, when they were to describe what would actually take for them to be happy, was about twice what they had. And it didn't matter how much they had. It was always twice. Last week, we looked at how difficult it is for peace, God's peace, to rule our lives. How it's a, it's a, it always seems to be just out there. And that if we were to come into a way to cast our anxieties on God, that he would give us true peace, a peace that is, is uh, bigger than the circumstances of our life. Today, we look at what will quiet our hearts, what will make them content. And I'm going to give you a definition for contentment that's drawn from uh, Jeremiah Burroughs. He wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And I, I would consider it probably the definitive Christian work on what contentment is, at least in my experience. And here's his definition. Contentment is a sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Now, if you want to piece that definition all the, you know, find out what every word means, you can get his book and I recommend it. But I want you to hear the basic idea is that this is a disposition of your heart. That says, whatever God does in my life, I accept with delight. Whatever God does in my life, I accept and find delight in it. Now, that's what Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 4. And I want you to see a couple of things. First, that kind of contentment must be learned. And second, that kind of contentment actually comes from giving. So first, it must be learned. 
Look in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord uh, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul uh, is in this situation where he is in prison. He's in house arrest. What that means, he gets to have his own living quarters and arrangement. He doesn't have to go to a prison. But house arrest also means that he is physically and literally chained to a Roman soldier all, t- all day long. That there is a shackle around his ankle probably and a shackle around a Roman soldier. And the only time that it comes off is when they're changing the guards. He's otherwise attached to a Roman soldier. He's not free to go where he wants. While he can have people in his house, he can't go anywhere. Now, he's still responsible for his own bills and living in that scenario. And so, obviously, there's very little he can do to make money. But it has been part of Paul's ministry when he goes to cities. Instead of saying, you support me, he'll do the the job for which he was trained, tent making. Now, I don't know exactly what tent making is. I think it's more than making camping gear. But he would do that and earn his own living in the day while at night he would work. And the occasions when he, he was given money from other churches, from Antioch or the church in Philippi, would free him from that daytime work so that he could focus on his work in the gospel. And so that's what's happened The Philippian church collected money and sent it to Paul via Epaphroditus. And so he has some money and he's free now to live in his house, though he's under house arrest. He's free to live on the money that they've given him for the time being and to be able to work, to write the letters, to minister to the person who's chained to him, to see others who need to be trained in the gospel. He's free to focus on those things instead of caring for his own immediate needs. And for that, he's thankful. But he says, listen, I need you to know that even when I had little, when I was forced to live on bologna and bread or whatever the the meager rations he was able to come by, he was able to say, listen, I was content there, but I had to learn it. I had to learn how to be content in my situations. But he wants you to see that that learning Contentment isn't learning contentment in the weakest of situations. You have to learn it in every situation, including those of abundance. Six times, he wants you to understand his contentment is learned for every situation. Six times he says it. First, in verse 11, he says, whatever situation. In verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. That's two. In, again, in verse 12, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of plenty and hunger, of abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I want you to hear what he's saying when he says, I can do all things. This verse is not the, the promise of victory in your moment. This is not a promise of prosperity and success. I know that God is with me, so I know that I can overcome every obstacle and start this business. I know that God is with me, so I know that I can go out and win the big game. That's not what this passage means, though it's often how it's been used. What it really means is, I know how to 
uh, go out and win the game or lose the game and not be crushed. I know how to go out and be a success or fail and not be lost. I know how to be satisfied with God when everything's going great and when everything is broken. One example of how you could see this, I know some of you will remember, uh, was in a sports moment, so that's how you'll remember it. It was in 2010. It was in the college national championship football game. Uh, Texas was playing Alabama. Now, Alabama won, so let's get that out of the way. And in that moment, at the about just a few plays into the game, the pretty vaunted quarterback for the uh, Texas Longhorns was Colt McCoy. He was tackled and damaged his throwing shoulder and was removed from the game. Now think about that. Here's a guy who's trained his whole life for this moment, and he loses it just a few plays into the game. He was interviewed after the game. I want you to hear what he said. I love this game. I have passion for this game. I've done what I can to contribute to this team. We made it this far, and it's unfortunate not to be able to play. I have given everything I had to be out there with my team. I always give God the glory. I never question things. God is in control of my life, and if nothing else, I know I'm standing on the rock. And then he ended his interview by saying congratulations to Alabama. They were a tremendous football team. Now, I want you to hear what he said. This is the moment I've been living for. But God took it. But I know God. And so that's okay. That is great. That is the picture of what Paul is describing here. Is that when you are abounding, everything's going great, you learn that this isn't to be trusted. This set of circumstances isn't what I'm here for. It's not that I'm trying to be comfortable and living high on life. But it's also that I'm not overcome by the failures, by the disappointments, and by the frustrations. This is not about success or prosperity. Just to give you a quick example of what this might look like, consider Joseph or Daniel in the Old Testament. Joseph and Daniel both rose to being second in in power and command in their respective countries, one in Egypt, one in Babylon. And there they had all the privileges of power and influence and wealth, And that's the kind of life where they needed to learn to be content, not in their stuff, but in the God who was near to them and whom they trusted. Or consider Elijah. Elijah was constantly on the run for fear of his life. And at one season, he prayed that there would be no rain. And the the drought lasted for years so that people were starving. And Elijah's only food was brought to him by ravens who had uh, ravens. The way they feed their young is they chew up their food and then spit it back up. Enjoy, Elijah. God gave those situations both. He gave Joseph and Daniel their prosperity and he gave Elijah his difficult circumstances and Both had to learn not to be content in their circumstances, but in their relationship to God. That's why he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I know that Jesus can make me able to be content when I have lots. And I know that Jesus can make me able to endure all kinds of trouble and be content there. I can 
have a sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise fatherly disposal in every condition because Jesus is with me. Because I'm not in it for the the trappings and the circumstances. I'm in it to know Christ. And he is with me. That's what Philippians 4.13 really means. That Christ is able in his strength to make me able to be satisfied with him regardless of what's going on around me. Regardless of my financial position. Regardless of my social positions. Regardless of my health. Regardless of, pick any circumstance you want in your life, Christ is enough to go with me there and make me satisfied in him. Now, the the way we get there, he tells us, Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. This church gave money to Paul. And in their giving money to Paul, it says they were partnering in giving and receiving. It wasn't the one-way thing in which they gave to Paul and they were the ones making all the sacrifice. What they actually ended up doing in giving was getting something back. What did they get back? Here's what he says. Verse 17, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. It's not that I just wanted you to give me some money so that I can live nicer. That wasn't the issue. I had Jesus and that was enough. The reason I wanted you to give to me was that it made your life better. It produced a fruit in you that was spiritual and can only come through sacrifice. Think about what happens. We will make some money via our jobs or, or selling things, however it is that you earn your living. We earn our living and we look at that money and we say, look at what I have. We begin to think of it as ours and ours alone, that I deserve this. And then we resent the idea that the plate comes around at church. We, we resent the idea that missionaries and others are always asking. We walk into Walmart and there's the bell ringing. And we're like, just leave me alone. And I pull up my cell phone. This, I, I, I confess I've done this. You pull out your cell phone and pretend so you don't get them to ask you a question. Because we don't want to have to give. But here, what Paul says is, as you give, what you discover is, hey, that was never really my money in the first place. It was always God's. And as I give it, I start to realize I didn't need that money. It it freed me from thinking that's what my life was. It freed me from these circumstances where I said, if I could just get enough stuff, I'll be happy. And I start giving it away and I start to find a happiness in Jesus, because he's the reason I'm giving it away. I start to see this fruit grow up in my heart that comes from God's kingdom and God's grace and not from my stuff. That's what Paul says is happening with the Philippians. A fruit that increases and it pleases God. Verse 18, I receive full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, the fragrance offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You see, 
What you did in your sacrificial giving, Philippian church, was you gave something that made God pleased. He enjoyed your gift. Now think about that. God took joy in their giving. You know that feeling when when someone you love is pleased with what you've done and how that is a cause for rejoicing, how you like to see the smile of your children or your spouse or a, a friend that you've encouraged and helped. Imagine now seeing the God of the universe look at your life and go, I like that. I take joy from that life. You see, that is the thing you receive as you give. And that smile of Jesus on your life is richer and better and better at producing contentment than a full bank account. That smile from the God of the universe is worth more than uh, a, a nice house or comfortable living. Now, he says this, verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of, in glory in Christ Jesus. The final reason for us to give is because we expect Jesus to take care of us. Now, I don't want to give you the misleading idea that if you'll give some money, Jesus will give you more back. I don't think that. He might. But he might, instead of giving you more money back, he might give you less money, but then give you the resources to live on less. He, he might make you more thankful and more and find more joy in him than you ever have before. He's going to give you, instead of riches back, he's going to give you riches in grace back. Through your giving, you will experience his care better than anywhere else. I would uh, do like the writer in in Malachi. He writes on God's behalf. God says, test me and see if I won't take care of you. Test me and see if I won't provide for you. Now, God's provision will come gracious. It will come in richer resources than you can now imagine. What you will find is that you take greater delight in his favor than in his stuff. And you will find your contentment grows and is unshakable because his favor doesn't diminish even if our circumstances do. That is what Philippians, what Paul, what God is telling you is that by giving away your stuff and your life, you will find a greater dependence and awareness of God's favor and that will taste better to you than all that you could gather in this life. And that's when you'll find contentment. That quiet, gracious frame of spirit that freely submits to and delights in God's wise, fatherly disposal in every condition. This uh, this morning, I don't know if you noticed it, but but Hank wasn't too happy with me. Uh, I, I wasn't poking him with anything. And, uh, and probably if you put out a sprinkler, uh, he'd run through it all day. So I don't think it was the water. He just wanted mom and dad. I remember once very clearly when I was uh, in St. Louis, we were at a pretty large church that had a nursery staff but needed volunteers to go along with them. So we were volunteering. 
We were in the nursery during one of the morning services, I think. And uh, there was a, a little child who, with about 20 minutes to go in the service, uh, decided he was done in the nursery. And so he began to cry. And I mean one of those powerful, you know, need to wipe your nose crying. He was upset. And I was had him there. And I, I didn't have any children at the time. I had no idea what I was doing. And so I'm like, you know, wanted to think anything. So we're patting. You know, we're walking around. We're showing him toys. Yeah, nothing's working. We break out the, the Cocoa Puffs, right? A bag of chocolate sugar-laden cereal. How can this go wrong? Nope. Don't want any part of it. I went to one of the staff, you know, the professionals. Here. She took him for a minute. He kept crying. She goes, I'm sorry, i got to do something else. <laughs> Give it back to me. She's, I, I, want, I hope she had something else to do, but that's what she told me. And so we're just trying to comfort him with everything I can. I I tried everything in the nursery, every toy, every article of food, everything I had ever tried, facing out, facing in, you know, anything. We even let him sit for a minute. That didn't work. Then his mom showed up, and it was like that. Got hold of mom and said, this was what I wanted. I want you to understand that when you recognize the greatness of God's favor, what will happen is you won't be satisfied with Cocoa Puffs anymore. You won't be satisfied with nice cars. You won't be satisfied with big bank accounts. You won't be satisfied with anything else. But you will be satisfied with his favor. And nothing else will work. But then you'll have it. And you will have a contentment that can't be touched. Let's pray. Father in heaven, We are very thankful that we have Jesus, who is enough, and we pray that you would help us see him and know his favor and be lost in it, Uh, be absolutely gripped by the smile that is ours in Christ. We pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen.